Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. Greetings and salutations from my underground conclave here in mid-state Pennsylvania. I hope you all are hunkered down and doing well. We are getting just a bit stir-crazy. Well, we started off a bit stir-crazy and are getting worse. But uh, we do get outside every now and then to get some sunshine. Go go for groceries with our face masks on and... uh, Wipe down our hands, our phones, steering wheels as soon as we get back in the car. It's an exciting time to be alive. But uh, we're glad that you decided to join us. uh, Porter's webinar, uh, the Scientific Poker Strategy. If you did not get a chance to attend that, and those who did attend were uh, greatly impressed. Uh, A lot of great content there and good reviews. So if you didn't get a chance to attend, the replay is up for purchase along with all the supporting files. So uh, you can can enjoy it after the fact. Just go to persuadio.nl up in the top right corner, Scientific Poker Strategy. You can read all about... The, uh, what's included in the content and uh, the purchase button is at the bottom. So um, with that, here's Persuadio and this episode's interview. Welcome back again to the Poker Zoo, now in the time of Corona. I have a new guest today who I don't know too much about, so I'm going to learn about him right along with you. Uh, I liked a lot of the you know, pieces he retweeted and such, and noticed he was a poker player, and then not only that, but a poker writer. So we're just going to learn more. Welcome to the show, Paul Hewson. Thank you for having me. You know, I I tried to check your name, but um, there's another person apparently who who shares your name. I don't know if you know this person. Oh, you mean the the guy from that band, that rock band from <laughs> Ireland? He doesn't count. No, he doesn't. No, no, I'm the <laughs> Paul Hewson now. Well, if you changed your name to the Paul Houston, it would resolve a few things. How are you? Where are you? What's going on? Well, I'm doing well. I am in Victoria, British Columbia, not too far from you. I'm, I'm at uh, my folks place right now. I'm going to okay. take care of things. We're not uh, officially locked down or anything, but uh, we're trying to do the smart stuff. That's fair. How, how are Canadians or at least British Columbians taking it, taking it all? Uh, there's a bit of a panic, if I may say so, down here. I've seen I've seen some of that footage. I don't know if it's that different. It depends who you are. We've got lots of different kinds of people here with lots of different attitudes about what's happening. So some of them are doing the smart thing and some of them aren't. But uh, I think generally speaking, we've been cautious, head of the curve, I mean, typical polite Canadian stuff. All right, well, well, we'll see if we can get you past that eventually. I don't know b- much about you, but I want to note that any poker writer interests me. I've done a bit of writing myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, just, writing. let's just start right there in the middle of it. I'm, I'm a sports writer. That's my main gig. I also get to write about poker, which is fantastic. So I've got notifications. Everything's in flux right now with sports writing, obviously. So I started writing about poker... Actually, in 2005, I did a few articles just giving some recaps of what was happening at the time as boom stuff was happening, but I wasn't a player at the time. I I wasn't familiar with anything more than what I was seeing on TV. Love cards, though. I've always played games and stuff, so that's how it got started. And then I really got started in about 2012, 
started taking it very, very seriously as if I was going to uh, conquer the online poker world. Started writing about poker in 2014, and uh, I'm still writing for Bodog and for anyone else who likes my stuff. The, the sports writing job that I have has uh, allowed me to try all these other different crazy things in my life. And uh, I take it as, a, like, as Lyman would say, a serious hobbyist. I've tried other things at that level. Um, and by the time 2012 rolled around, I needed a new hobby. And it seemed to me that uh, poker would be something that fits my lifestyle and my uh, talents such as they are. Well, let's talk about that because they're all, gonna, they're all going to tie together. You loved the game. How did you get started in the game? Well, I have grandfather, my grandfather on my dad's side, big, po uh, big card player, no one of note or anything, but a uh, smart man, uh, math teacher, physics teacher, uh, Navy guy. So I'd play cards with him a lot. And then um, also my mom's mom was a card player. We had many games of Uno back in the day. She usually kicked my butt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I grew up a bit of a math nerd, but a sports nerd as well. I love all that stuff. So playing games, if I can make that my job, playing games or writing about games, then I'm a happy boy. So when 2012 rolled around, Black Friday wasn't as much of an issue being in Canada. I'd say at the time, it was still... There was still money to be made in theory in poker, but I was not that concerned about the money. I was concerned about learning to play the game as well as I could, as quickly as I could. Online poker gave me that opportunity right off the bat. I was able to really concentrate, play a lot of hands, study. And then, I mean, it's sort of the history of poker education from there. It's really blown up with the machine learning, all that stuff. It's really, I don't want to say easy because you still have to put the work in, but uh, it's definitely there's more opportunities to learn poker better, faster than ever before. So I jumped on that train and here I am. You're telling me you're involved with training sites or are you at home with the solver? What kind of poker studier are you? Well, I do use training sites. Run It Once is the big one. I've been on there since, and I think, 2015. Before that, I used card runners. Before that, I subscribed to Nick Wellfall's uh, training courses. I think he's a tremendous communicator, um, interesting guy. Um, he's, uh, that was 2013. I spent the first year just sucking in whatever uh, free content that I could that I thought was useful, like the, uh, the MIT courses, which you can still get online. Yeah, I mean, every step along the way has been a, a further step into better poker education, better training. I'd like to think that I have my doctorate in poker, but, you know, like, like any other doctorate, you still have to get out there and put in the work and learn, you know, the real world. For sure. Um, well, what has that doctorate yielded you? What sort of stakes do you play? Are you bringing in a boatload of money what, what's your your deal in terms of uh, actual play well I'm, I'm not bringing in a boatload of anything right now <laughs> i'd say let's see i'd say about two years ago i made uh i made the decision to uh focus more on live maybe even three years ago if i'm gonna enjoy myself mm -hmm. as a poker player it's definitely going to be at the live tables 
online poker can definitely be a lot of fun too. I, I recommend it, but I wouldn't recommend it as a way to make money. I'd, I'd recommend it for having fun and uh, also as a, as a training tool, get those hands in. In my, my limited experience with the Canadian poker scene, it's a pretty good one, but that's naive. Tell me, tell me what poker has been like and what it is, has become in uh, BC. Mm. That's a good question. It's also the same wherever you go. Um, there's a lot fewer runes than there were when I started. The Vancouver scene in particular, I was in Vancouver for most of the, uh, the aughts, definitely dried up a lot. Um, you can still go around to about, I'd say four or five different locations and play, you know, one, two, one, three, two, five, the occasional five, 10 on the weekend. That's all still there. Tournaments, hardly anything at all. Um, and tournament poker would be, again, my preference. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm into the sports side and I think uh, tournament poker is where you get the mind sport. Cash poker is definitely not a sport. I'm with Lyman on that one. <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize either one was a sport, but. Well, it depends on, uh, it depends on how you define the word is like uh, President Clinton once said. Well, make, make me your case for tournament poker being a sport. Now I can kind of guess where you're going, but let, let's hear it. Sure, well, basically, I mean, if you go back to the World Series of Poker, the first year they had it, it was cash poker, and then they were like, oh, okay, well, let's try a freeze out thing, and voila, World Series of Poker. Um, you have the structure of the sport, you have an event, you have to be there, you compete with other people, there's prize money at the end, that's, there's trophies, there's uh, accolades, there's uh, an industry around it, much as there is with the, the sports world. There's an entertainment and a media industry around it, and there's people that are interested in watching, there's fans. So that's pretty much what you have for a sport. You're taking an activity and making it into a competition. Okay. Uh... Didn't John McEnroe say that anything that you're not running around with is, is not a sport? What about the physical aspect of this, of this uh, category? Yeah, well, that, that would be why I would call it a mind sport. I think sports can be physical or mental in nature. But again, it just depends on how you want to define it. There's no, nothing's written in stone. Really. All right, well, we have a very slippery guest today. Um, going back to... <laughs> Going back to something you mentioned, though, you said you trained with Run It Once, which, you know, is pretty universally considered the, you know, maybe the number one training site. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that, because it's, sure, it's a big name, but there's an awful lot of coaches and an awful lot of content. What does it mean to actually study with Run It Once? For me, personally, I wanted to... I wanted to take my poker education as seriously as possible because um, I wanted it also to be part of my, my job as a journalist, as a writer. I learned so much about the game, uh, at a, mostly for, for me focusing on the theoretical level, making sure that I understand why people are making these plays. And then on top of that, um, getting basically tutorials into how to use these newer programs. I was on... Um, I was on Poker Snowy when that first came out in, what was that, 2014, 2015, I can't remember mm -hmm. now. You know, I've downloaded all those programs and I've, and uh, 
I would say that run it once easily is, is top of the food chain when it comes to poker training. Okay, I believe you about run it once, but what I was more driving at is were there coaches or you know programs that were of particular use within this, the training site that the listener might want to hear about? Hmm, okay. Um, well, uh, I have a personal preference uh, for, again, great communicators. The, the content is uh, split up among different variants of poker, so it depends on what game you're going to play. That will determine which pros that they have that are specialized in those and are able to pump out the better content for that. Uh, I tend, again, to gravitate toward the theory side of things. So Phil Galfond himself did a lot of content on that. They have a three-tiered system, depending on how much you want to pay. That's how much gold they're going to give you. I was sort of in the middle. I, I ramped up, like I said, I was doing the free stuff at first. And then as I got further and further into it, I paid more and more for my training. So at first I got the free stuff and then I got the essential level, I believe it's called. And uh, then I went up to the elite after about a year or so. If, uh, if you're interested in going on there, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, but uh, I would also just click around, click on a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, a generalist approach is usually good when you're starting to learn about poker anyway. And then as you find instructors who are meshing with you and seem to resonate with you, go into there and delve into that content and uh, see what happens. So what's the upshot of that in terms of how you play now? Um, do you have a, a, you know, a static raise first in from every position? Is your bet sizing all very standardized? What kind of, what is the output of all this work with run at once? I'd say at first, I definitely had uh, hard and set rules, training wheels basically um, for raise first in and all that stuff from each position at the table. At one point, I had so many charts on my wall that it was, uh, it was like, you know, one of those films where they're trying to catch the killer and they've got everything mapped and there's just paper everywhere and colored markers and push pins, the whole thing. After about four or five years, uh, I started moving away from that and trying to make more fluid decisions. This is where the theory started taking over from the uh, from the training wheels. I don't have any more, I don't have any set anything really. I just trust that I'm somewhere near a Nash equilibrium with, uh, with the decisions that I make when I'm making like GTO type stuff and then deviate from there as necessary. But it's all pretty much feel at this point. This is why I think that it's good to get all that stuff in early really, really hit it hard early on and then set yourself free later on so that you can be open to react to what's happening on the ground. Well, that sounds pretty scary and good. We've uh, just shut down the live scene. Are you at the peak of your powers and, and looking for a game? That is a very good question. Um, if I'm at the peak of my powers, which is possible, then and I'll be a very sad person. I want to keep uh, pushing this envelope and get as good at the game as I can. Um, that's the competitive part of it. That's the sporty part of it that keeps me doing this, aside from the professional writing side of it, of course. I think that I've still got 
things to learn in poker, but they would be almost on the meta level. The things that I could improve at as a poker player are how to carry myself as a poker player professionally. Should I get to the point where I need to, need to quote unquote, make money from poker, it would definitely be at the cash tables and I would have to develop my personal skills, I suppose, at a greater level. Um, every time I go into the a live room and play cash, because I do, as part of my overall training, I find that it's uh, it's challenging, depending on what kind of people you sit around the table. But it's it's like life in general. You have to learn to deal with people, and uh, I've I've gotten better and better at being more of a um, like a poker host type person. Again, uh, Abe Lyman is a, a good person to have as a someone to follow and pick up on what he says about how one should conduct oneself at a cash table. Again, I'd rather be doing tournaments. I'd rather win stuff and uh, meet those kind of people because they all seem to be a bit more in my demographic, the, the mathlete type person. I think there's uh, definitely opportunities for that coming up. I was gonna go to the Irish Poker Open, but uh, I, I self-canceled yeah. that probably three weeks before they actually canceled it themselves. I'm looking forward to pushing into that tournament sphere though and meeting the people and uh, getting getting better at that and pushing that rock, see how far that goes. So what uh, buy-in level would that be for you? I'm wondering what uh, where you're at in terms of the difficulty of the game. Well, for, for buy-ins, Personally, I have I have my own limits. I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be going anything larger than the thousand dollar type region now. I wouldn't necessarily want to go too low either. I think it's a pretty much a given, a rule of thumb these days that unless you're playing ten thousand dollar buy-ins, you're not really making money at the tournament tables because of all the expenses. I think personally, I would. Uh, spend a bit more of those thousands firing bullets at uh, $10,000 main event satellites so that I can, again, you know, try to get the most bang for my buck. That makes sense. Are you going to be playing online now that you have all this downtime? I don't think I'm too interested in playing serious stakes online, um, just given the sophistication of bots and also, I spend so many hours in front of a computer screen already, I don't want to add too many hours to that playing online poker. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. I love doing it, but only a little bit here and there. Um, I don't think I'll be loading up on 24 tournament tables online anytime soon. Let me switch a little bit because I think we've got an idea of who you are. But you're a writer and you've been watching <laughs> things and people in the game <laughs> for a long time. What, what interests you culturally about the game? What are some issues that have come up that you have a, a thought on that we might want to hear? That's a, that's a deep and thoughtful and penetrating question. Um, Being mocked on my own podcast. <laughs> I, would, I would do no such thing. Um, I, the fascinating thing for me is kind of what we've been already digging at, the, the difference between cash poker and tournament poker. I see these things as two different ecosystems almost, a bit more than I think a lot of people would. The first time I walked into a live poker room, 
there were, it was probably 2012, 2013 in Vancouver, there were tournament tables and there were cash tables. And I could really sense a different aura emanating from the tables. The, the tournament tables, mm. I, I could sense that people around those tables were relatively happy. There was a nice, calm, friendly, collegiate mood about it. And then over the tournament, uh, excuse me, over the cash tables, it was nasty, dark vibe coming out. And there were people there that looked like they were ready to kill their grandmothers for, for $2. So <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the way I see the difference between tournament and cash poker. Well, I, I guess it's clear why you choose one over the other. Um, let me put one thing to you, though. The tournament scene is also full of people on the prowl, degenerates being staked and Absolutely. not giving back their money. And mm -hmm. all the, I mean, you know more about it than I do. I just know the, the big picture. No, you might know more about it than I do. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want to compare anything at this point. All right. Well, I guess what it sounds like to me is you really love this this sporting competitive aspect mm -hmm. of it that I admit has to not really exist at, at as much at a take at a cash table simply structurally. But the tournament scene is going to probably be the last scene to come back, isn't it? It requires more people to sit mm -hmm. together for longer. Ah. You've got a you've got a problem. That is a good point. I can't predict what impact the, uh, this, this pandemic is going to have. I don't think anybody can say for certain how many months we're going to be, or possibly a year I've heard, that we're all going to be sort of on pause. There's definitely an online tournament poker culture and ecosystem. I, sorry for the $64 word. Um, that's been there. That's been there this whole time. I think that a lot of the concerns that I have about online poker that I just stated aren't as problematic on the tournament scene. Uh, live poker, we'll just have to we'll just have to pause. But taking the long view, I think things will come back. I don't think that there will be that much of a gap between when cash poker and tournament poker come back live. But there will be a gap, as you said. There are more people involved, um, not just people at the tables, but also all the staff. Yeah, it's, it's a big unknown right now. For sure. That's a minor point. When it comes back, it all comes back. And, and trust me, the WSOP is salivating and worried that you won't be sitting there paying 20% rake to sit down for your first buy-in. Mm. But let's move to more of what you've been doing you're you're a, you're a sports writer but you mentioned sports betting well that's interesting and you're connected to the site bodog which is obviously a, i don't know is that the one of the biggest mm. sports betting sites tell tell us about this side of your life oh sure um it is arguably the biggest site when you look at the entire umbrella with bovada as well i've been writing either for them directly or writing content that they've used since, let me think, oh, mid-2000s. I got into sports writing around 2002, I believe. I started at Covers and then uh, went from there to uh, 
a group called Chalk Gaming, who changed their name to Resulta, I think. But uh, I've been freelancing since 2011 now, and uh, it works out very well for me. I'm on Sports Book Review, a few other sites every now and then who need some content I'm available for. So while you avoid the cash tables in principle, you're part of the scene that services the prime um, hobby of most cash players, which is betting on things. Yes, that's one of the things I miss about being around a live poker table is, is yapping about sports and sports betting. Fair enough. I don't know if I missed that part, but maybe I'm, I'm just too jaded at this point. You're never too jaded. There's always more. No, you're never, okay, I, that's good stuff. You, I'm glad people are listening to this one. Now, I, I hate to jump around, but I just don't, I don't, want, I don't want to forget something. Um, and that's that people are going to be turning, whether you do or not, more to online in the coming months. It's already a fact. I'm getting invitations. Heck, I'm inviting more people to my game. Nice. And part of that scene is actually tournaments. Could you give give us some, you know, this is a strategy podcast and I'm not a tournament player. I'm really not. I have wow. some basic ideas as how it works, but my whole my whole scene is cash. You know, what would you say to not a novice, not even a mid middle player, but a good mm -hmm. cash player? What does a good cash player need to know about tournaments that he doesn't likely know? Well, if you're a good cash player, you're almost certainly going to be a good tournament player, especially online. The only real difference is, are you comfortable you, uh, with different stack sizes? Do you know what to do when you have 40 big blinds or 30 or 20 or 10? That's, that's the main thing, or 200 for that matter. Each of these things requires a, a tweak, I'd say, to your, to your strategy. And then there's also the general concept that in tournaments, uh, survival is more important than chip accumulation, as opposed to cash games. So it behooves you to, generally speaking, uh, take fewer of the tiny edges that you might in a cash game. But these are, again, these are fairly small tweaks. Okay. I love the stack size point because that's essential to all no limit. Uh, most of us cash players kind of lose our edge when it gets below 60 big blinds, though. So mm -hmm. that's something to think about. Yeah. Uh, the, as, as stacks get shorter and shorter, edges in general tend to disappear. Um, ideally, as a cash player in particular, you'd want to be in deep stack tournaments so that you can manifest your edge against people who are not as experienced with deeper stacks. Anything, I mean, they say everything over roughly 40 big blinds, you can have most of your cash game arsenal. And then once you, once you get under 40, you're kind of in that danger zone, as they say. Okay, that's a good number to keep in mind. Um, one thing about the stacks, though, that I have a question on, I, I've done a lot of tournament reporting and the, the, the tournament scene players seem to love deep stacks. If you say some, something deep, mm. just say deep throat to them and they will be there. Um, but after uh, a few levels, no one's deep stacked anymore. How much does it really matter? Uh, again, it depends on the structure of the tournament you're playing. Uh, the deeper things are at the beginning, the more time you'll have to play with deep stacks. And again, manifest that edge. I think if you're, if you're a good player at all, 
you want those opportunities where you can have an edge on the competition. Um, for some players, once you get into like turbo land, you know, it, it's not going to be as exciting. You're going to be, your decision trees are going to be very, very small, tiny little, tiny little decision bonsai trees. And uh, it can be a bit robotic and a bit monotonous in theory, but it depends whether you love poker or not. It's like, you know, any other sport, you're going to have a lot of those fundamentals that are kind of boring to do. You're not always going up to the plate, hanging a home run. Sometimes you're going to have to bunt. That's poker. Fair enough. Okay, now I'm going to leave back because I, I got that off my chest. Leaving back to to your writing, you've got your name, Paul Hewson. Is are you are there pieces that you'd want to share that we should highlight that you should that you would want to point out that I can link to? Uh, what what's uh, what are some of the your favorites? For examples of my poker writing, I would uh, go ahead and uh, if you're not already on my Twitter, go look for the. Um, which poker, it's the Bowdog Poker blog, which isn't active anymore, it's from a few years ago, but uh, I had the opportunity to do a lot of good stuff for that blog. I just Google it or Duck, Duck, Go or whatever the kids are doing these days. It's out there somewhere. Most of the writing that I do now is not under my byline. It's a uh, post content, but uh, if, you're, if you're looking for something that's a bit more indicative of, of my writing style and the things that I'm interested in writing about, you'll find it on the blog. What about uh, content by other writers? You know, the GPI, the Global Poker Index, mm. made a good decision to give, uh, what's his name, Martin Harris? I'll figure out his name, but he wrote a, a recently published a book on poker and pop culture. And he also, but, but people, what people might forget is he has this amazing blog, which has more interest and diversity of, of thought than probably all the blogs ever created combined. So two questions buried in here. What, what do you look for? And are, are poker writers really very appreciated? Well, I'll, I'll have to check out this blog you're talking about. I have not spent a lot of time other than your fabulous side, of course, out of position. I've, I've not spent a lot of time reading other people's poker writing recently, at least. A lot of the poker writing that I have absorbed in my life was early on in my education. And that was like, you know, the standards, you know, super system, and then all the, the old stuff that you could get online at the time, all the David Sklansky stuff. Uh, I've, I've tended to, I tend to use more of the video and audio content when I'm following along. I might listen to the occasional podcast, but mostly I, I watch live stuff. I, I, almost all the content, the poker content that I absorb in my life is live poker. If there's a tournament on, I've got it on my, my screens. I have multiple screens, um, preferably tournaments, but also cash. I was on live at the bike their training site as well when Lyman was the man in charge. So that's, that's more where I get my content. Um, poker writers, I haven't even given that much thought as far as like poker writers as opposed to writers in general or even sports writers. So I, I don't really have a lot of input on that. Well, I think that sort of says it all. There's not a lot of 
interesting poker writing. On the other hand, there are some writers who have written about poker. There's um, McManus and there's Colin Whitehead. Mm. Any uh, books, any uh, fiction even that uh, you've enjoyed? I've, I've, I've read some excerpts and some clips here and there from, uh, from that kind of content, but it's, again, it's just not something that's really in my wheelhouse, not on my radar screen. On your three screens. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair. I was trying to, you know, find out just how much you love Brad Owen, but I'm, I'm just not going to get it. Let's go back to tournaments then, because my the one big question that I've always wanted to hear from a, uh, a solid tournament player is um, about tournament life. And you mentioned that. Now, I was always taught that, you know, value tournament life, and that's helped me do well in my few entries. Done, mm. done, you know, I probably have a better chance than most players. But, you know, everyone loves Doug Polk, and he's a brilliant poker thinker, uh, kind of a big jerk sometimes, but that's just goes with the territory. Mm. Anyway, he says that poker life is your, your poker uh, survival is somewhat overrated. And he has, you know, advised rather aggressive play throughout mm. the tournament. What, what, what do you say to that? Or, you know, what does that mean? Well, again, I think it depends who's doing the rating will determine whether it's being overrated or not. If there's a, if Doug Polk thinks that the general populace is overrating tournament life, I, I can't say that he's wrong. I, I don't have an opinion on that. What, uh, what you can do is sort of break a tournament down into stages and you can say, there's a certain point in a tournament where it does indeed pay to be quite more aggressive than other times in a tournament. And that would be if you go with the whole uh, Dan Harrington thing about M ratios, the whole M thing, that would be when you've got like roughly between 10 and 20 M. I think that's called the yellow zone or something like that. I don't know. I don't remember the colors or anything, but uh, you know, this is kind of like that danger zone thing. Uh, that 30 to 40 big blind thing uh, certainly behooves you to really crank up the uh, the aggression level there so that you can get yourself back into that magical, you know, 40 big blind and above thing where you do have all of your, you know, cash, or at least some of your cash poker tools, all those extra three bets, four bets, you know, being able to get your money in at some point post-flop instead of getting it all in pre-flop, that kind of thing. It's, it's good to have that kind of leverage. So that would be a point in a tournament where you definitely want to be aggressive and not be as fearful of your tournament life. Okay, that's fair. And I think people understand that. But if I'm, I'll, I'll interpret him a little bit. And sure. Maybe I'm wrong and it'll be useful anyway. I think what he's saying is that even in situations deeper, that players are overvaluing their tournament life, uh, both in terms of their offense and their, their defense compared to Nash equilibrium. Does that make sense? Is that intuitive to you as an experienced player? Well, I'm gonna have to defer to Doug Polk on this one. Wouldn't be the first time. Well, I've grilled you 
pretty good. Um, and we're coming towards the end. Uh, what have I missed out on? What, what, have, what has been secretly in your heart that you need to, ta- to tell all my 20 listeners? Well, I, I would tell them to keep listening. I'm, I'm a fan of what you've been doing. You're, you're well-spoken and well-written and you've got good ideas. So I'd definitely keep on that track. Well, I failed in uh, getting you off the polite Canadian act, um, but I will give you one more opportunity in the sense that is there any, do you have any questions for me before we, we get to the end of this? No, uh, I, would, I would love to know um, what you have in store coming up um, with your poker writing and your work in general, and if uh, what you have planned to get through this uh, um, pause in, in live poker and all of that? Uh, sure. So <clears throat> about two weeks ago, I started writing this blog piece called, it was going to be called Poker in the Time of Corona, which is sort mm-hmm. of a play on poker in the time or poker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love in the Time of Cholera. Um, by Marquez. Um, And then it occurred to me that people are sort of scrambling for what to do. And I guess I'm thinking of coming up with a weekly dispatch, sort of an email that will accomplish several things for players. It'll give them access to, I don't know, interesting poker thoughts. It'll give them access, easy access to the games that I'm running. connect them to community because obviously being solitary is the problem now. Mm. Losing your nerve is the problem I'm beginning to notice and I'm beginning to worry about people a little bit. Mm. So that is probably what I'm going to do um, as well as try to increase my podcast rate. Mm. And uh, I'm hoping to find, you know, to, to, to stick with the plan of revisiting people within the community. There's about 60 members of the back room. Mm-hmm. Um, but continue to, to reach out to people who are not, um, you know, oversaturating the market. You know, mm-hmm. as much as I love all these big poker names, they're on 16 different podcast episodes and now they're coming back for the third time. So I'm interested in talking to people who are not talked to and hearing from them. I guess that's the plan for the next couple months. That's a good plan. We definitely need some uh, fresh faces and some fresh content to get us through the next while. As, as the poker community goes, I mean, we've, you were talking about online poker and all of that. I think that this, this community in particular is going to be better prepared and better positioned to get through this than a lot of communities because a lot of what we do already is online. I'm fortunate that, yes, I have had some of my workload reduced because of the, uh, cancellation of March Madness in particular and uh, the pausing of basketball and hockey at the pro levels for now and so on but I've still got stuff to write about and I'm, I'm at home half the time anyway I've, I've, I hate to add to the pile of jokes that everyone's saying the same joke but I'm going to anyway I've been in self-isolation for most of the last seven years I'm gonna be fine I actually hadn't heard that one yet but I I can unfortunately uh share that a little bit yeah i mean we're all we're all a bit nerdy and a bit socially isolating uh, naturally anyway most of us some of us are incredibly gregarious on in the outside world and it's going to be difficult at that level and yeah especially at the tournament level where you know it's a tour you're supposed to be a tourist going to places and hanging out with people and having fun is is 
part of the tournament live poker tournament experience so that part of it's going to be missed for however long this takes but doing there's Khalid we can be friends online it's not that difficult that's a really uh beautiful point to end on and uh getting you to the Irish Open getting you on the tour which is really one of the best things about the tournament scene is something I wish for you <clears throat> and for everyone Thank who, you. who wants to uh get back to life when that when this ends so with that I want to thank Paul for coming on the the zoo I want to thank our listeners and wish them good luck. And I want to turn over the podcast to Dean Martin. And we want to thank you also for tuning into the Poker Zoo. You can find this and all other episodes of the Poker Zoo at persuadio.nl. That's persuadio.nl. And uh, while you're there, check out uh, Porter's Scientific Poker Strategy webinar up in the top right corner and uh, click on that link and you'll find all the details to the webinar replay all the gto plus uh, files that are included etc etc and uh, i think you'll find it very beneficial to your solver use also if you would like to play in the pp poker games contact persuadio or porter and they can find a way to uh, to integrate you there all we ask is that we know who you are don't sign up with uh, 20 fake accounts <laughs> anyway i hope you are doing well in the covid19 crisis it looks like there is some good news on the horizon some medications that seem to be working and uh hopefully we'll get out of this funk in uh, about a week or so i know wishful thinking but we will see you next time Peace.